you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that now you would be in our midst by your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit which inspired the Scriptures, which taught the prophets to predict and indicate the sufferings and glories of Christ that, that were to come. And Lord, even if our hearts are locked, would you come and dwell in the midst of us? Lord, help me to preach in your power and help us to receive out of your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a book by a guy named Elliot Clark who was a missionary in a Central Asian, predominantly Muslim, closed country. So it was illegal for him to be a missionary and church planter there. Um, Illegal to uh, call people to conversion And he wrote a book when he returned uh, to the States, and it's called Evangelism as Exiles. And it's sort of a a biography, an autobiography of their time uh, in in this unnamed country, in unnamed cities with people whose names have been changed for their safety, and an exposition of the book of 1 Peter. In the beginning of Evangelism as Exiles, Eliot tells a story. uh, When they had first moved to their area, their apartment was sort of on the outskirts of town. And one day, Elliot was in one room and his wife was in the kitchen and uh, he heard her gasp in a way, it sounded like maybe she had hurt herself, like she had cut herself or, or something had happened. And so he rushed into the room and what he found was his wife staring silently, sort of paralyzed, staring out the, the window over the sink into the sort of barren uh, open wilderness between where their apartment was and where the, the, town, the edge of the town was. And she could see their, they could both see their son standing on a hill surrounded by this gang that they had, had heard about called the Rough Uncles that everyone avoided because they were mischief makers and violent. And, and here they were standing uh, over 100 yards away watching their 10-year-old son surrounded by this gang. And they, they, Elliot said that he didn't know what to do. He didn't, you know, there's no way he could have sprinted there and got there in time to do anything. And as they watched, they saw the leader of the gang pick up a large stone in a threatening way toward their son, but their son was unmoved. He just stood there. And then after a few moments, the the other boy put down the the stone, and the the crowd dispersed, and their son came sprinting back to the apartment. And, And as he came inside, of course, they were terrified and elated at the same time, and they just were like, what happened? And he told them, he said, you know, they're, they're a Western family, right? Clearly they are not uh, Central Asian. And that meant that those boys, uh, that gang, assumed that he was a Christian. And so they, they surrounded him and said, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross? And with faith like a child, he said, of, of course I do, <laughs> Right? Like, if, you, if that's all you've ever known, he says, of course I do. And then, he, and then the boy picked up the stone and threatened him and said, what if, what if I kill you right now? And the boy said, if you kill me right now, I go to be with Jesus. So it doesn't matter to me. And then the situation was diffused and he sprinted home into the safety of his mother and his father. And that sounds kind of like overwrought, like overdone, kind of too cute by half, and maybe, maybe like absurd that, you know, how could parents put their 10-year-old son in a situation like that? No, 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 no. That boy gets it. That boy gets it. That's what the letter of 1 Peter is all about. 
You and I, if we know Jesus, we have an inheritance that pales in comparison to anything we could ever achieve or receive in this life or anything that suffering or hardship or persecution could ever take away from us. We have something in Christ. Our salvation in Christ dwarfs any of the pain and sorrow that we might face in this world. That's what this book of 1 Peter is all about. The Apostle Peter writes to this group of Christians, these groups of Christians scattered all across Asia Minor, scattered across roughly the area of, of the state of California, and he, he wants them to know that as God's chosen people, that as Christians, they are exiles, they're strangers. Other translations say they're aliens, foreigners, and they are going to face opposition. They are going to face trials. They are going to face suffering in a world that is hostile to God and hostile to his Christ. But that through the gospel, through the gospel, this, uh, they have a secure salvation. They can have the, the faith like a child and say, if you kill me, I go to be with Jesus. So I win either way. They have a secure salvation that gives them hope. It gives them strength in the midst of the trials and the suffering as they seek to follow after Christ's example of faithfulness to God. That's, that's the, the big idea of the book of 1 Peter, this letter. Martin Luther said that in 1 Peter, he thought everything that a Christian needed to know was contained in the book of 1 Peter. There's nothing about the Eucharist in there, but other than that, I, I, tend, to, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Uh, maybe we could just sum it up this way. In 1 Peter 5, 12, Peter sums up his letter this way. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. You have something that is so much more valuable, so much more beautiful, so much more deeply good that you can face anything in God's power. So look at, let's look at these verses together. In the first section of the letter, he unpacks for them all of the manifold blessings that they have because of their faith in Christ. In our, in our verses, verses one through five, you see that our salvation is secure because of God's power. So first, let's look at the salvation that we have. The opening uh, introduction, just those first two verses, tell us so much about what a Christian has, someone who's believed in Jesus and then baptized in his name. What do we have? He says in verse one, we, have, we are chosen. We are God's special people out of all the nations of the earth. Though all the nations of the earth are mine, you are my treasured possession, God says to the people. In verse two, uh, he says that it's been God's plan from the ages to set apart a people for himself by the foreknowledge of God and that he has cleansed us by the Holy Spirit. All our sins are washed away. All our shame is washed away. Everything we've ever done and everything that's ever been done to us, it's been uh, washed away through the Spirit and the sprinkling of his blood. Jesus has made a perfect sacrifice for sin. Jesus has made a new covenant with God. We are clean and we have a a, a clear and open way to come to the Lord. And now we are his chosen people, his special treasured possession. In verses 3 through 12, that's actually in, in the Greek, verses 3 through 12 is just one sentence. It's just Peter pouring out praise on God for all that he's done through salvation. He says in verse 3 that Christians have received God's great mercy. We need great mercy for our sins are great. He says that they have been born again. They were spiritually dead. You know, the, the spiritual realm 
uh, the spiritual reality, God, none of that mattered to them. But now they've been born again, and they have life with God through faith in Jesus and the witness of the Spirit. And now, verse 4, they have an inheritance in heaven. They have a treasure in heaven that is undefiled, unperishing, and unfading, that is kept in heaven by God. They have an amazing, we have an amazing salvation if we have faith in Christ. Through the resurrection of the dead, he says, they have a living hope. They, knowing that all this stuff is true changes how you face suffering and trials and persecution. So have you received this salvation? You know, I don't, I don't assume just because you're in church that, that you actually have received this salvation. Have you, have you repented of your sins? Have you turned away from your own way of seeking the good life and your own uh, rule and reign in your life, being your own God? Have you turned away from that and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you, like the baptismal vows say, renounced the devil and his works and received Christ and thrown yourself on him? The, God made the world, and all of us have fallen into sin, but he sent Christ so that we could be brought back to him, that through his death, he would pay for sins, and in his resurrection, we are justified. We're declared to be in the right if we have faith in Jesus. Have you received that? Do you know this great salvation that I'm talking about, that, be, that First Peter's telling us about? If you do, then I have even more good news. That salvation is absolutely secure because of God. Look at those verses again. You know, they're, they're exiles, they're foreigners, they're strangers. They, um, more and more scholars are convinced that that's not just a metaphor for being a Christian in the world, that you, you know, your, your homeland is another place, but more and more scholars are convinced that these people that are receiving the, the letter of 1 Peter are actually literally exiles. They have literally been expelled from Rome, or they've, they've lost their land, or they've, they've sort of, they've been pushed into this sort of weird middle place in the society where, where they don't fit in with anybody and they don't have any power anymore and they don't have any influence and nobody looks to them as important. And so they are not just spiritually exiles, but literally exiles. They're suffering. Peter describes all manner of suffering, that false accusations, chapter 2, verse 12, that beatings, chapter 2, verse 20, slander, chapter 3, verse 16, insults, chapter 4, verse 14, mistreatment, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And the assaults of the devil, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. These are embattled people. You know, they, they, they feel like they used to be influential and now they're not anymore. Does that sound familiar, Christians? They are truly, really exiles. But, but, their salvation, what they, their hope, what they long for, where they find strength, is absolutely secure because of God. In chapter 1, verse 1, it's God who chose them. They are elect exiles. They do not choose themselves. God said, I want those people to be part of my people. God chose them. In chapter, uh, in verse 3, he says, God caused them to be born again. They didn't, we didn't cause ourselves to be born again. God did that. In verse 4, God, it says, is that, that inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. It's being kept in heaven. It's been guarded, it says, by he in heaven by God, and you are being guarded through the Holy Spirit, verse 5. By God's power, you are being guarded for salvation. God chose you. God caused you to be born again. God's keeping your inheritance secure, and God is guarding you. We can rest in him. 
Whatever suffering, whatever trial, whatever sickness, whatever persecution comes our way, it can never take away what God has given us in Christ. I thought of this week, um, Winston Churchill, on December 7th, 1941, the evening of Pearl Harbor, when he got word of what had happened in Hawaii, he wrote in his journal that he slept the sleep of the saved. Not because he was happy about what had happened, but because he knew the implications. He knew that no longer would America be preparing for war and fighting a proxy war, but now the full brunt of the American economy and military would be thrown into the fight on his side. And so he slept like a baby because he knew that he could rest. Yes, the world was still tumultuous. Yes, the world was still chaotic. Yes, many people were still suffering and dying, but he slept the sleep of the saved because something definitive had happened. We have something even more definitive. We have an inheritance. We are heirs with God through Christ. And God is keeping us and holding us fast. There's that, that great song, it's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. Though my love is often cold, Christ will hold me fast. Our salvation is secure. This beautiful, amazing, imperishable salvation is secure through God's power. In fact, mysteriously, we don't understand always how this, how this works, but actually the scriptures say, and Peter goes on to say here, that our, our salvation, the security that we have in God, that our sufferings actually work toward our security, not against our security. He says that God uses our sufferings and our trials to strengthen our faith. Our, our sufferings serve God's purposes in our lives. Look at verse six and seven. Peter says, you've been grieved by various trials, you suffered in various ways, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If I say, I went to the grocery store so that I could buy milk, what am I telling you? I'm telling you the purpose of me going to the grocery store, right? Peter's saying, here's the purpose of all that suffering that's happening in your life. The purpose is so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your suffering, your trial, your persecution, everything that's happening to you that makes you want to throw up your hands and the things that make you pray with the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord? That's, those are actually the things God is using to strengthen your faith and refine your faith and help you cling to him. He's giving you something in faith that is more precious than gold. We know this, this is all over the Bible, right? Remember, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. We see the ups and downs of his life, and they're reunited at the end. And what does Joseph say to them? You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. James chapter 1, we just preached through James not that long ago. James chapter 1, verse 2, that verse that we all wish was not in the Bible. Count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? It goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Paul says, For this light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that is being uh, stored up for us in Christ Jesus. Suffering can never take from you what God has promised you. 
In fact, the way God works is that suffering will actually make you cleave to him. And, and your faith will be strengthened and refined. It will produce steadfastness and character and hope, Romans 5. Which means now I can rest in him and I can rejoice in the midst of my sufferings. You, you, you and I, we, we know that, that Jesus is alive. Amen? We've experienced him in our life. We're just like these people. Peter says to them, you've never seen him, but you love him right? You've never seen him, but you love him. That's, that's us. You, you, he's alive, which means you can have a love relationship with him. Because he's alive, you believe and you rejoice, knowing how things are going to turn out. Jesus defeated sin and death. So I know the end of the story. Verse 9, because you know the suffering, that suffering that you're facing is actually working so that you obtain the salvation that God has promised. I was reminded last night of the story of Wang Yi, he's a pastor in China, of uh, early reign reformed church. And in 2018, he was arrested, and he wasn't sentenced until 2022, sentenced to nine years in prison for being a part of a church that wasn't registered with the state. Shortly before his arrest in 2018, he wrote a document called My Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. And one of the things that stands out as you read that is not, you don't get a sense of fear. You don't get a sense of, I wish I was in control. I would put these communists in their place. You don't get a sense of despair or despondency or anger or bitterness. You get a sense that he cares about one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that he will joyfully submit to anything that happens to him so long as the gospel, so long as the church is built up and the gospel is preached. He says, this is a quote from him. I accept and respect the fact that the communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as those submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord. At the same time, my Savior also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. But this doesn't mean I'm fighting for rights. It doesn't, it's not political activism. Uh, activism. I don't have the intention to change things or to take power. I'm paraphrasing there. But he says, quote, as a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by this faithful disobedience and the testimony that I bear to the cross of Christ. And finally, I know this is a lot of quote. Finally, if through this persecution, God continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans for his plans are always benevolent and good. Five times in, the, in a relatively short document, he says, I am joyfully willing to submit. I am joyfully willing to submit. I am joyfully willing to submit. Are you joyfully willing to submit to the suffering, to the trial, to the persecution, to the ridicule, to the mocking that comes with bearing the name of Christ in a world that is hostile? You are an elect exile. Finally, so we have a salvation our salvation, uh, this great salvation that we have in Christ is secure because of God's power. Even our sufferings work for God's purposes in our life. And finally, our standing, our status that we have through Christ is greater than even the prophets or the angels. It's kind of a, it, it seems like kind of a weird place for Peter to end this, this sentence, this hymn of praise. But, it, but it's like he puts a final exclamation point on it. You know, okay, if... if the fact that you've been born again and chosen by God and received God's mercy and 
um, been grafted in, you have an inheritance, if that's not fully resonating with your spirit, let me just throw one more thing at you, Peter says. He says, think about the prophets who were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they foretold the coming of the Messiah. And they inquired, they looked and they longed, they wondered when he would come and where he would come and what would it be like and they wished that they could be there, they wished that they could see it. And Peter says, these prophets, the people that you look to in the Bible, those saints of old, that you go, man, so amazing. Abraham, you know, he, uh, he entertained God at his tent. And you see all the, the mighty works of, of the prophets in the Old Testament. Peter's saying, you have something even more amazing. You have something more amazing. The fulfillment of everything they spoke of and everything they longed for. In verses 10 through 12, he says, the prophets longed to see the grace that you have now received the sufferings and glories of the Messiah that they predicted through the Spirit, you know of because of the preaching of the gospel. You've heard it. You know it. You know that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. You are, you're more privileged than even the prophets. And then finally, verse 12, even the angels long to look in on this. Not even the angels, the angels that are in in heaven with the archangels and all the company of heaven who sing, holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might. Even they want to know what you've received through the gospel. Isn't that amazing? You have something that, that dwarfs any suffering, any hardship, any persecution, any trial that could come your way. And it is rock solid because of God's power. Your standing, your status is unimaginably high. You have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. But here, we're exiles. So what do we do? We've, we may have lost our position and influence like these first Christians did. We may feel disadvantaged. We may feel overwhelmed. We, we may wonder how what we're experiencing could possibly be part of God's plan. But Peter encourages us, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Rejoice in your sufferings. Bless God for the salvation that you have and rest in his power. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I wish my heart always believed what my lips were just describing. I wish all of our hearts always reverberated with joy because of the grace that you've poured out, us on, poured out on us in Jesus. Lord, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Let the gospel sink down deep in our hearts that we would be people who do follow after the faithful example of the suffering Christ, who bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's for his sake that we pray. Amen.